This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. Is there ever going to be a day I wake up and I say, you know what? It feels great to be a Jet fan. It feels awesome. Like this was one of the many decisions I made in my life that was the correct one. Because I'm reading an SI article about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and it's talking about how this year he's going to use what happened in the AFC Championship game as extra motivation, coming off of what was a little bit of a down year for him. He, quote-unquote, struggled at some point during the regular season. And then you look at his stat line, and it's like, wait, he, he threw for nearly 5,000 yards, 37 touchdowns to just 13 interceptions. What a life. What a day. What does it feel like to be a Chiefs fan? I read another article on SI about Aaron Rodgers and how it's going to be a different season for him. No Devontae Adams. He's going to really have to tap into being a team leader as they look to rebound from a crushing loss in the division round against the Niners. Aaron Rodgers coming off yet another MVP. What is life for a Packers fan? Meanwhile... The New York Jets, every time we come into a season, the commentary is, well, it's not about wins and losses. Well, when is it going to be about wins and losses? It's all about growth and development and watching this young core build. And now we learn today that one member of that young core, Makai Becton, likely out for the season. Jets starting right tackle because he actually moved from left tackle where he was originally drafted, suffered a chip fracture in his right knee on Monday, actually was in practice, injured himself, came back, and then took his pads off. And the reports immediately following were that it was precautionary, he was going to be okay, and then, of course, we learned he is likely going to be out the rest of the season. And if that comes to fruition, that will be 35 missed games of a possible 50 for one Makai Becton, who was drafted 11th overall in the 2020 draft for the Jets, where you, in theory, expect to get an impact player who is going to contribute significantly immediately. And now he's out for the season. So it's not just about the team continuing to just vomit all over itself as it pertains to just embarrassing Darnold with seeing goals and everything that happened last year. How How is it possible that the fans are now cheering for Mike White over Zach Wilson, who we just drafted, the Adam Gase debacle and his eyes situation at the press conference, and the list goes on and on and on. When are we going to get to a point where us as Jet fans can in unison, in unison, without laughing at ourselves afterwards, scream J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 because we are oozing with pride? When is the next time that's going to happen? Because I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. And Rich Samini put together what was an excellent column on ESPN.com. And he does a wonderful job, uh, Syracuse grad, so big up to Ritzamini. Uh, but I did see something in his, um, in what he put out today that 
I, I just, I mean, I, I understood the optimism because we're always looking for reasons to, you know, look at the bright side of, of every situation. But it was one that I just vehemently disagreed with. And he talked about how, like, this doesn't ultimately, you know, spell doom for the Jets. They can still recover uh, and look at what Joe Burrow was able to do with the depleted offensive line. I'm just saying, man, did at any point you watch Zach Wilson last season and think to yourself, I'm watching the next Joe Burrow. Because that's not what happened for me. And it looks like the Jets are going to be in deep talks with Seattle Seahawks free agent Dwayne Brown, five-time Pro Bowl selection. He's going to turn 37 at the end of the month. Is it ideal? No. But at least you bring in someone with a lot of experience to fill a, a now it is what is now a gaping hole for the New York Jets. So it's it's just frustrating because as we were getting on the air last night, we we learned of this news that it was more significant than we originally thought. Because the initial report, as I mentioned, was that it wasn't going to be that serious, but then we learned that that's not the case. So. The Jets now lose their right tackle, and it's onward and upward from here. So Zach Wilson entering what is going to be a critical year two for him as the quarterback for this team, already coming off what was a horrific season, now is going to be dealing with injuries to his offensive line. And and not that it does spell doom, not that the season is over and we should already be looking at the draft and you know so on and so forth, but it it just presents another challenge for a guy who even last year just looked overwhelmed. So it feels like every time you're getting to a point where the positivity starts to emanate and things start to come together, you add some weapons, you have a good draft, everyone's a year more experienced in the front office down to the head coach, a devastating blow. Carl Lawson last year and now... Mekhi Becton this year. Here was Mike Tannenbaum on the K-Show earlier on the Mekhi Becton injury. What a massive opportunity for Robert Sala. You want to be Coach of the Year, Robert Sala? You have an unbelievable opportunity. Al Davis used to tell Coach Parcells, you know what? Nobody cares. Just go get your team in the end zone. So you have a little bump in the road. 11th pick in the draft goes down. Next man up. Go coach him up. Tell us how good he's going to be. Get your team into the end zone and let's go. So if I'm Robert Sala, I see this as an opportunity for the New York Jets in 2022 to exceed expectations. Get your young quarterback going. You had a good offseason. No one's going to care that Becton got hurt. Next guy up. That's the reality of pro football. That's the reality of this market. It is the reality. And and I agree with Mike T. It's just... Dealing with this time and time again, and and it's frustrating too because hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty. You remember going back to the draft, the Jets flirted with the idea of taking some of the top tackles who were available, and we heard Becton's name involved in trade rumors. But they ended up taking Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson, and at the time, and still to this day, solid moves to to fill two needs that's going to help you immediately this season, but. The ultimate reality is they gambled on Makai Becton and it just didn't pan out. So you look at that 2020 draft for the New York Jets and the return so far 
not great because in that draft, you took Makai Becton with your first selection. And 35 of 50 games he will have missed if he misses this entire season. Denzel Mims was taken with the 59th pick. Might be traded. Ashton Davis. Jabari Zuniga. LaMichael Pirine. James Morgan, Cameron Clark, Bryce Hall. Is Braden Mann, the punter, the most impactful player from this draft right now? It's just crazy to be a Jets fan right now. It's just crazy. Just crazy. So the the climb was already a steep one coming from this division where you've got the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Patriots who many expect to all of them to finish ahead of you. And even if you manage to survive being in that wild card picture, look at all the teams that you're going to have to overcome. With respect to the Bengals, the Browns, who knows what's going to happen with Watson, the Ravens, the Steelers, always in the conversation, the Titans, the Colts now with Matt Ryan. Don't sleep on Davis Mills. And the Houston Texans. Is Trevor Lawrence going to be better with the Jaguars? And then you got the AFC West where every team is, is, is live with the Raiders, Broncos, Chiefs, and Chargers. So the climb has gotten significantly steeper. I don't want to overreact because part of me felt like Becton surviving an entire season was wishful thinking. But to, to, for him to already uh, already be a net zero, man, oh, man. The life of a Jet fan. Your phone call is coming up as we go to midnight tonight. We'll get to the Yankee conversation. The Mets right now on top of the Reds, 4-2 to two in the bottom of the seventh inning. Carlos Carrasco still on the mound. He's been lights out tonight for the most part outside of the two earned runs. Nine strikeouts in six and two-third innings pitch. Lindor home run. McNeil home run. RBI single for McNeil. That's the Met offense. They lead 4-2. to two. Yankees. Just first pitch just happened in Seattle as they look to build on that momentum of last night's victory. We're going to midnight right here. Ty D. Butler on Twitter and Instagram, 800-919-3776. More on the Jets. Big start for Garrett Cole. Mets looking up at the Dodgers in the standings. So much to do right here on 987 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Remember, they were 10-5 and five headed into Week 17 going to Buffalo with a chance to get to the postseason for the first time since the AFC title game in 2010. And they were on a six-game winning streak. They had beaten the, the Patriots. They had beaten the Giants during that run. It was so exciting. You go to Buffalo Week 17 against Rex Ryan and a Bills team with literally nothing to play for, all the momentum, and then Ryan Fitzpatrick right on cue, throws three interceptions in the second half, and the Jets, in a heartbreak fashion, lose that game and miss out on the playoffs. One year in the last decade, the Jets have had double-digit wins. So I don't want to hear Chiefs fans complaining about you know, that miserable experience in the AFC Championship. And Packers fans, Aaron Rodgers, like, Bucks losing last year to the Rams in that comeback. 
the life of a Jet fan. I just want to wake up one day and say it feels good. When's the next time we can look forward to a Jet season and have realistic expectations, not even of, of winning a championship or contending, but just being in it, just being relevant, where the Sunday night football graphic has us slated for three games that year. We're on Monday night football. We're on Thursday night football. We're, we're, we're playing primetime big games. When's the next time that's going to happen? Hit me up on Twitter, at Ty D. Butler, at DS Island 24 says, Moments like this is when you look back and say, remember when we thought the season was lost, when Beckton went down? Keep your heads up. My head is, is still up. It's devastating when you react in real time to a significant injury for a guy you really had high hopes for on your offensive line with a, a young quarterback who last year was running for his life. So this year, I mean, you expect it to be much better and improved, but investing in, in Beckton didn't just cost you as far as the individual player. It's it's an it's a it's a an area you could have addressed in the draft and you chose not to because you thought he was gonna be back in in, in improved shape and and be effective this year. And we're learning right before preseason kicks off on Friday night, a game against the Eagles you can hear right here on ninety eight seven ESPN at seven thirty. We're learning that it's just as Joe Girardi would say, not what you want. Rich Samini was on KJM looking at the Jets overall and what the expectations are for this season. Here was Rich talking about what Robert Sala needs to do this coming year. I think people will be looking at Sala with a you know a, a harsher lens this year because they do expect improvement. I think they should be a, a team that should be in the seven to eight you know, nine wins if Zach really improves category. So another four-win total is going to not really reflect very well on Robert Salas. So there is a little bit of pressure this year on him. I would say not just a little bit, but a lot. I don't think that you can have your defense look as bad as, bad as it was last year. So remember, the disaster that was last year wasn't just about how awful the team was. They, they were... a, a pretty pathetic but it wasn't just about how bad they were it was how a defensive-minded head coach allowed them to be literally one of the worst defenses in franchise history the Jets going 4-13 and okay first-year head coach first-year quarterback growing pains the quarterback gets hurt injuries all over the place Things happen. You can chalk it up to just wasn't our year where there were so many question marks and a lot to, to be decided. And none of, none of the question marks were answered in the affirmative. But for you to be as bad as you were defensively, as, as we were sold on him being such a defensive savvy head coach from his days in, in San Francisco. I mean, that, that was the embarrassing part of it. The Jets being that woeful on defense. So there needs to be an element of improvement on both sides. The offense last year, one of the worst in the league, and the defense being as bad. That can't happen. Your quarterback looking overwhelmed. The head coach at times looking overwhelmed. It would just be a disaster for the entire organization. Up to Joe Douglas, down to Salah, and Zach Wilson. Could you imagine a year from now we're having the, uh, the same conversation 
about this team being where it is, where every single year it's like, well, the expectations aren't that high. Just look presentable. Look like you belong. It's hard to do that every year and sell your fan base on it, that you're, that you're moving in the right direction. It's really hard to, to make that case when it's the same old song and dance. And then the, the Jets draft, like I, I came across this earlier today, Geno Smith battling with Drew Locke for the starting quarterback position in Seattle. That's a former Jet quarterback, Geno Smith, that once upon a time had the opportunity to, to be the franchise quarterback. Down in Carolina, Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield battling for the starting job down there. And it looks like, it sounds like from what you're hearing, the Panthers want to give Baker every opportunity to win that job. But that's another Jet quarterback who he had high hopes on somewhere else battling for a starting position. Going to end up being a backup somewhere. Remember Darnold lit the Jets up last year in week one? It was actually the game where Makai Becton gets hurt. Darnold started the year, I believe it was like 3-0 and off to one of the best starts we had ever seen. He's getting interviewed on Thursday Night Football. The fans are chanting, it's Darnold, Darnold, Darnold. And then a year later, is he actually going to be the starting quarterback or is it going to be Baker Mayfield, who the Browns want to know part of? So not that I'm rooting against Darnold. I, didn't, I never understood the Jet fans rooting against Sam Darnold. It... I guess he has to take the brunt of the criticism for what transpired during his time here, but it was an awful situation. They they did him no favors, from Adam Gates, the head coach, to all the offensive coordinators, to the weapons, or the lack of that they gave him, the offensive line. They, he had no shot of being successful here with what they gave him. And I will I will go to my grave thinking that Sam Darnold maybe not maybe wouldn't have been a great quarterback. I'm not saying Herbert, Burrow, Mahomes, Russell Wilson, any of those guys, but I feel like he could have been a functional top 15 as quarterback had he come into the right situation because there was talent there coming out of USC. I don't think he came in with bust potential. I guess everybody comes in with bus potential. But I don't think he came in and he was drawing dead to be a successful quarterback. The Jets played a big part in that. And through the first year with Zach Wilson, same trajectory. Not going to lose hope just yet. Get excited about how he's looked in 11-on-11 drills against his own defense. We'll see how much of, of Zach Wilson we see on Friday night. Coming up, is Kevin Durant actually going to get what he wants? Because the way he's played this might be savvy. I'll tell you what I'm talking about coming up. We're going until midnight. Ty Deep Butler on Twitter and Instagram. 800-919-3776. Right here on 9870 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. So I have one of my boys who I worked with in Syracuse. He lives in, in Texas. He's up here visiting. I think he went to a, a Rage Against the Machine concert at the Garden. So he's here for a few days. He texted me uh, Sunday night asking about my schedule Monday. So I'm going to be in the city from 9 to 5 at the other employer. And if you, if you want to meet up, sure, let's do it. So we, we, we meet up at around 2 o'clock. We go to have lunch. I'm not really all that familiar with the area. I, I don't do a lot of eating out. So I'm like, let's just walk. Uh, and, and find somewhere to eat. But 
I've got like a 40 minute window. So it's just one of those the first thing we see we're going to we're going to eat it and hopefully it's not bad. For the first time ever. You know what I had? What's that? Chipotle. You're bugging. Hold on. Where have you been at? Everyone raves about it. It's it's literally one of the most popular chains like ever has become one of the most popular chains ever on Monday the first time I had. Okay. Uh, well, yesterday, I guess. First time I ever had Chipotle. All right. So, my question to you is, uh, what did you think? It was, I, I thought, now it's hard because, like, you try something for the first time and t- to to have a strong opinion about it just feels irresponsible, but it was it was cool. I, it's not something that I'm looking forward to having all the time. It's not like, you know what? Every time I'm at work, Chipotle's got my name written all over it. It was cool. Yeah, I mean, it was I. It was cool. I used to be one of those guys. Uh, Chipotle had me in the chokehold. Like I was. See. Yeah, I mean, it was it was cheap. You know, you get your money's worth, and then you full for the whole day, so you don't gotta eat. But there are plenty of times where I just felt like complete and utter crap. Like right after I ate it. So. Well, what I got wasn't unhealthy. It was just a burrito with rice, had some lettuce, the little tomato salsa, uh, and some grilled chicken. A little bit of cheese on it, so it's not the the most healthy meal, but of all the unhealthy meals, it's it's pretty much up there with the you know taking care of yourself. But it was cool. Okay, nothing uh, crazy. So uh, what else? This is I guess a uh, what else haven't you tried that uh, most people I, would? I think that's that might be it. Chipotle was the only one I was holding on to, and, and it actually became fascinating for a while because like there was this Chipotle hype years ago. Everyone just loved it. Chipotle, Chipotle, gotta have Chipotle. I feel like it's died down a little bit, but I, Chipotle's probably Chipotle's probably the last one I checked off. Okay. How about you? Uh, I don't know. I've, I've never had an Arby's or like you know or you know some of these commercials that they show on TV, and I'm just like, there's yeah. nowhere in New York, maybe Queens or Long Island, but there's nowhere in the city that I'm getting <laughs> an Arby's and just give me all the meat. Like pause. <laughs> Oh, man. Yo, so we were talking about, before we got to break, uh, Sam Darnold. And Jacob made a a good point as we were um, in the break. He said one of the reasons why it felt like so many Jet fans were rooting against Darnold was because the last thing you want to see him do is go to Carolina and experience success. Like, imagine us waiting for the quarterback, waiting for the quarterback. We get a guy who's supposed to be the quarterback. We trade him away. And immediately, he's a difference maker for his new team. And it looked like that the first three weeks. I mentioned like how good he was. 3-0 and for the Panthers. 279. Uh, here's his yards for the three games. 279, 305, and 304. Off to a great start. To the point folks were out here trolling, saying, is he the MVP of the league? Problem for Darner was he fell off a cliff. Finished the season with nine touchdowns. Five of them came within the first four weeks. And pretty much spent the the last part of the season after the first four games had one game the rest of the year with multiple touchdowns, so he finished nine touchdowns to thirteen interceptions. Not great for Darnold. But on to Durant. I, I mentioned, is he going to get what he wants by being savvy? Yesterday on these airwaves, I said it would be foolish for the Nets to, in a battle between the GM and head coach and one of the fifteen greatest players ever. Choose the former. And it's it's not that I think it's the right thing to do just based on merit and morals. 
turning your organization over to Cameron Durant, who, as much as I love him, really hasn't done much for you. He's only won one playoff series since he's been here, since he signed in 2019. I just felt like it would be if if the goal, if the object of the game is to win championships, would you rather have Sean Marks and Steve Nash or Kevin Durant? I just felt like punting on one of the three best basketball players in the league, one of the greatest ever, coming off a season where he averaged 37-6, and six, punting on that guy who would have been in the conversation for MVP had he not gotten hurt last year, it just sounds crazy. But the more I thought about it, and it's not that the Nets were ever going to do that, but if they, th- if Joe Sy considered, you know what, I got to give in to Durant. I've got to, I, I have to part ways with, with Sean Marks and Steve Nash. If he was going to consider it, feels like every front off front office executive and owner would be irate. Because what kind of precedent are you setting if you're Joe Sy, turning over this organization to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, who, as I mentioned, in the time that they've been here, the last four years, has given you one playoff series win. It would be different if these were champions, they had just recent success like we've never seen before. But to turn over your organization to these two guys when all, all it's been is it's just been chaos and, and such a messy situation, it's really hard to sell that, not just to your fan base, but to your colleagues. The other owners, the other GMs, the other executives around the league watching this unfold. The last thing they want to see have happen is, is players, first of all, Watching Kevin Durant with four years left on his deal ask for out and then you grant him that would would be something that these owners disapprove of because that's setting a bad precedent. Being under contract, should they should feel like they have security. Now, I, I do feel like there's some hypocrisy in it because when a player asks for out, he he gets villainized. He gets killed for it. But I don't hear anyone complaining about the Utah Jazz shopping Donovan Mitchell while he's under contract. When it's the player asking for out, oh, fulfill your contract. You sign the contract. When it's the GM trading you, it's a great business decision. So I've always felt like there was a a level of hypocrisy that people just failed to acknowledge. But around the league, these GMs obviously want to feel like there's some security when you give a guy a multi-year deal. And if you grant Durant his wishes and you allow him to pick his destination, then the contract in, in many ways feels meaningless. So the GMs and, and owners could not have been going for that. But now, if you allow this same guy who wanted you to fire your, your head coach in Kenny Atkins and you did that, wanted you to sell all of your future assets for James Harden, you did that, that blew up. And now he's asking you to fire this GM and this head coach? All for what? To keep him happy for how long? There's no way front office executives and everyone around the league is rooting for Durant to get his wish. Which is And, and how is this going to work? Did Durant feel like this was going to work? Maybe he didn't. Maybe he saw all of the conversations since he, he asked for a trade about a month ago. 
come down to, well, the Nets just haven't found the package that they've been looking for. So he's going to have to tough it out and stay with this team. And he said, you know what? No, I'm not doing that. I said I want it out. I'm going to reiterate I want out. And I'm going to make it difficult for you to continue to employ me. So here's the ultimatum. You get rid of your head coach and GM or you trade me. So now, if you're an owner, there's a level of pride there that you feel is attacked. And it forces you to come to terms with the yeah, man. I can't bring this guy back to training camp. He wants me to turn my entire organization over to him. It's just not happening. This 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 is now feeling irreconcilable. We've got to make something happen. Even if the package isn't what we're looking for, because the Rudy Gobert trade netted the Jazz five first-rounders, Rudy Gobert, in my estimation, one of the most overrated players in the league, but he does have tremendous value. He's a perennial all-star, multi-time defensive player of the year. So he, so he, was he worth five first-rounders? No, but that's what they were ended up getting for it. So it, the market now had to account for that, and the thought process was Durant is going to command more if you deal him. And since then, that hasn't materialized. The only thing that I can't understand here is the relationship between Durant and Kyrie. Because all we've heard is how they're linked to one each other, to one another. They're best friends. They operate, you know, simpatico. One of the reasons why Kyrie Irving was able to play last year despite not being vaccinated when the team initially said he's not going to be a part-time player. Part of the reason why they gave in to him was because of Durant saying, hey, we need this guy back on the court. So it feels like every step of the way, Durant has been able to get what he wants and Kyrie's had his support and vice versa. But what I don't understand is Kyrie Irving last year watched Kevin Durant play heavy minutes, heavy minutes, trying to keep this team afloat amidst injuries and everything that went wrong for them. And it will come back, play once a week, and then go back to being off for a couple of days. He watched Durant go through that, so much so that it, it literally broke him. He suffered that MCL sprain and missed, what, nearly two months. The Nets, the Nets went from being in first place to fighting for a playing spot. Kyrie Irving watched all of that unfold and did nothing. And you could say the friendship extends beyond basketball, but I don't know, man. If I see one of my dogs going at it and doing his thing, doing everything in his power to help us win, part of me feels that conviction. I've got to get out there and have his back. And at no point last year did Kyrie Irving look like he nudged. And on the flip side of that, KD is now watching, and we hear reports now that Kyrie Irving playing happy with the Nets. All seems to be going well. He's going to show up to camp. He's, you know, involved in team-building activities. Katie's watching this and still has decided he wants to leave. This, this friendship is so odd. If I'm Durant and I watch Kyrie flirt with the Lakers all summer, it doesn't make me feel great. If I'm Kyrie and I watch Durant, you know, reiterate this trade demand, right after I said I'm opting in, can't feel good about that either. So this this tightly knit friendship is just weird. It's just weird. And the sad reality is for us hoops fans who who live in New York City, 
there is an opportunity for us to really watch something special unfold. And folks didn't like the rant because of you know, how he did handle the Oklahoma City departure, going to the Warriors, and then the burner accounts and what have you. And then Kyrie had his misfortunes with the Cavs on his ex on his exit from there, and what ultimately transpired in Boston. So he was viewed as a bad teammate. So the combination of these two guys together, people just decided they were going to root against them. But I'm sure in New York City, for the Net fans who had a chance to watch the potential that was two of the best players in the league contending for championships for the next couple of years, that was exciting. And now it just seems to be all falling apart. But if you're a Knicks fan, you're just watching now. Saying, all right, let that implosion take place. Let that volcanic eruption run its course. And then slowly but surely, we're going to find our hands on Donovan Mitchell. Then you get Donovan, Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett. And now you've got something cooking here. I don't know if it's good enough to win anything of significance, but R.J. Barrett becoming a star. Donovan Mitchell continuing his ascension, and then Jalen Brunson tapping into whatever an unlocked potential he has. Maybe, just maybe, you can make some noise. Where we were a year ago, Knicks falling apart, Nets rising to the top, and now it feels like it's reversed. Hit us up on the phones, 800-919-3776, at Ty D. Butler on Twitter. We will update you on both the Yankees and Mets in action right now. The Mets got started late tonight because of a rain delay. But we'll tell you what's going on. Reds right now threatening with the bases loaded. But more when we get back right here on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Sunset in New York City tomorrow, so Wednesday is at 8 p.m. The sun won't set later than 8 p.m. in New York City until May 9th of 2023. So it's all it's all coming apart. Ryan Rucco has the phrase that August is the Sunday of summer. It goes by so quickly. And it's part of the reason why there's that dilemma. Whenever you're itching for football season to happen, it really means that you're trying to rush through the summer. You, you're, you're rushing through the summer. We're going to get back to fall. A lot of people love fall more than the summer anyway because hoodie weather. Who doesn't love hoodie weather? But then that just means we're closer to the winter. And who likes the winter? The Mets in the bottom of the eighth inning now are up 6-2. to two. And they are now three outs away from yet another victory. Meanwhile, the Yankees... And a big start for Garrett Cole, no score in Seattle. It is the bottom of the third inning. So I mentioned big start for Garrett Cole. Is it a big start for Garrett Cole? The fact that this is even a conversation, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of an indictment, but it is also kind of a sad reality. Because here we have supposedly one of the best pitchers in baseball. A five-time All-Star. He's finished top five in the Young five times in his career. And yet tonight, we're really going to have to sit here and dissect all of the inner workings of a Tuesday night Garrett Cole performance in Seattle. Why is that? Well, here's the reason. Because you could argue this is the worst version of Garrett Cole we've seen 
since he left Pittsburgh. That's not hyperbole. What's the number you want? His ERA? Yeah, worse since 2017. ERA plus? Worse since 2017 as well. So Garrett Cole this year has had five starts. Five. One, two, three, four, five starts where he's given up at least five runs. That ain't great. Especially for a guy who they're paying $324 million over the course of nine seasons. Him being a question mark going into October, certainly not ideal for a rotation that's literally with many of them. So it's a big start just because you want to, you just want to feel like you have momentum going, going there, especially because of what happened last year against the Red Sox. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be paying in, intently. I'm going to be paying attention with intent to see what happens tonight against a you know a pretty good Seattle Mariners team. The Yankees handled them pretty well last night, finally snapping that five-game losing streak. But Garrett Cole, I mean, it's not just about wins the rest of the way for him. We need him to look dominant. We need him to be sensational. Big picture about the Yankees. Not panicking. I know they haven't played well as of late, but being without your second and third most effective power hitters in Rizzo and Stanton is going to cause your lineup to to take a huge hit. And now Matt Carpenter, who fractured his foot yesterday, he was, you could argue, probably the biggest spark plug to the team this year. And they're going to lose something with, with that as well. These guys are expected to return, so... I mean, you'd you'd rather the injuries not happen, but if they do, you want them to happen before you get to September so they'll have the opportunity to work themselves back and get into a nice rhythm. Severino being shelved also is a huge deal. But Severino, is he becoming a myth? Has Severino become so injury-prone, it's just a fantasy. When we talk about, well, if they can get a healthy Severino... When's the last time we saw that? 30 starts is usually where you want your starting pitcher to be around every year. 30 starts. And that's what Severino gave the Yankees in back-to-back seasons in 2017 and 2018. He was great in 2017, pretty good in 2018. Since then, he's pitched 23 games. Luis Severino has thrown 104 innings in the last Three seasons. That's an average of about 30-plus innings per year the last three years. And now we're just going to expect him to get healthy and in the biggest games of the year be effective? I don't know. Sounds like a fantasy to me. I'm hopeful that maybe this injury— I I don't know that a shoulder injury, that one you've suffered before, can be a blessing in disguise, but— Maybe him not throwing as many innings and really further ex- uh, you know, expending his arm is going to provide some type of a benefit. Or this could just be the Yankee fan of me looking for any gl- glimmer of optimism. But Severino, <laughs> pitching in 23 games since 2018, not ideal. Not ideal. But I still have hope in this team. I still have hope. It's a rough patch. They'll figure it out. Why? Because they employ the MVP of the league, and that's Aaron Judge. And we're we're going to get to a point in the season, later in the year, maybe mid-September, where 
all the baseball writers are going to sit down and ask themselves, did we really have a conversation about Aaron Judge not being the MVP? Doesn't it sound silly when you look at the type of season he's putting together? Aaron Judge this year. Let's look at his rankings. OPS. First. Sounds pretty good. Home runs. First. Even better. RBIs. First. Runs. First. War. First. On pace for 65 home runs. Sounds like an MVP to me for a team with the best record in the American League. So Aaron Judge, and I get Shohei Otani, he's been special. And it's the most unique performance we've seen since Babe Ruth with him pitching and hitting. He is an incredible player. But he's not the most valuable player in the league, especially for a team that is lousy, that is as lousy as the Angels. Aaron Judge is your American League MVP. Should have been that in 2017. Was robbed by the cheaters in Houston. Which is why, by the way, I know it's I know it's like not the most popular take. I'm in the minority here. But if the Yankees can right the ship and get hot again, the team that I want them to face in October is the Houston Astros. I want that series. I don't want them getting knocked out by the Twins. No, that's not what I want. I I want all the smoke. What John Morant say? Call me the chimney because I want the smoke. That's what I want for the Yankees. I want the smoke. So no getting knocked out by, you know, Cleveland or Minnesota, Seattle. I want to see Houston in the American League Championship Series. If the Yankees are to end that drought, that that long, arduous 13-year drought of not winning a championship— since 2009, I wanted to come against the Houston Astros. Bring on Jose Altuve. Bring on Yordani Alvarez. Bring on Justin Verlander, who, by the way, might be the Cy Young this year, which is incredible considering Tommy John surgery, age. That guy just, nothing seems to, to, to play Justin Verlander. The Yankees haven't seemed to beat them, but I want to see them in the playoffs. That's the team I want. That's the team I want the Yankees to go through to earn this championship. Bring on the Astros, and you know what? Bring on the Mets. One hour left to play with right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN.